I'd like to read a couple of verses to you. John chapter 14. I'd like to read verses 13 and 14. And then I'm going to go to John chapter 15 and verse 7. And John John 14, verses 13 and 14. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then John 15, verse 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. God bless you. you. may be seated. Now, if I were to ask this question, how many of you have prayed and asked anything, and it didn't come to pass, if I were to ask that question and you were to be honest and raise your hands, everybody in the room would have to raise their hand and acknowledge that they had asked things that haven't come to pass. And because we have experienced that, some of us have uh, given up on real prayer. We, have, we go through the motions of prayer. We pray Pentecostal style. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And of course, that's as far from biblical as possible. In fact, it's so insulting to God that he said, if you're doing such things as that, you're praying with vain repetition and that's how the heathen pray to their gods of stone and wood. So when I use vain repetition, I don't care how much it's culturally acceptable in Pentecost, I am praying to God like as if he was a stone idol. And I do that because I'm filling up time so that I can punch my clock to say that I prayed. So I've done my, uh, I fulfilled my religious obligation and now I can go on about my day and everything is okay because I've prayed. And those of us that don't pray with vain repetition, we, we have another Pentecostal cultural way of praying. The very first thing we do is immediately begin to repent for all of our sins to make sure that we're still saved. And then we began to give God the list of all the things that we want fixed, changed, undone, or supplied. And when we get through with our itemizing the lessons for our servant, uh, we let him know that we'll be back later to check on see how he's doing with our list. Because there's no two-way communication. And we call it prayer and then wonder why it doesn't work and then wonder why we have such a hard time praying. I was, uh, was in Texas, uh, preparing a couple of weeks ago to speak for the first time since my injury. And, uh, I was 
was my second time to speak at the South Texas District uh, Prayer Conference. And they'd announced it as a spiritual warfare conference. And I, I was praying and, and going back over some things and the Lord was talking to me and he pointed me to these verses. And he said to me, why do you think my people have prayed like I have invited them to and it didn't work? Well, I'll read it to you. James chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. James 4, 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war. You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not. Because you ask amiss. That you may consume it Upon your own lusts. In other words, stating that a little more, in a little more 2015 language, we would say, you pray and you ask for stuff, you don't get it because you're asking with the wrong understanding and the wrong motive because you're asking it in your own will for your own purposes. When Jesus healed all those people, what was the primary type of person that he prayed for and healed? There's only two classifications of people. Forgiven and those that haven't, aren't forgiven because they haven't repented yet. Think about it. Who are the people that got all the miracles? Not the forgiven. The majority of people he healed were those that did not know him. And he healed them to demonstrate his reality, his love, his power. But there's a guy named Paul who had a serious problem and prayed three times. And God said, no, no, no. He asked what he will. And God said, no, no, no. And then it's implied that the Lord said, and now don't ask me again. Because the way I'm supplying your need is I'm not taking your problem away. I'm giving you the grace to endure the problem because I sent the problem. I sent the problem so you could be saved. So, our brothers and sisters are sick and they come for prayer and we pop our hands on their head and pray for them and not, never stop to ask the Lord, is it your will for this person to be healed at this time? Because the Bible says, ask what you will. 
Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be open unto you. We don't understand. We don't understand. Therefore, we don't pray. Because if prayer's not going to fix my problems, take away my pain, relieve my pressure, I'm not bothered with prayer. Because if prayer's not going to make my life better, I'm not praying. I went back through and copied the context, not just the verse, but the context of every single verse that offered, ask what you will. And when I looked at the context of every time he made that offer, it changed everything about the verse. So just listen a little bit. John 14, but we're not going to start with verse 13. We're going to start with verse 6. And whoever's on the computer, I've got it on my iPad, so you'll have to keep up with me because I'm not following you. Okay? John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come unto the, unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet thou hast not known me, Philip. He that, say, that see, hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the, the what? The works. What works? Name one time. The man Christ Jesus prayed for himself before the garden. And the only time he ever prayed for himself in the garden, he added the caveat, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Acknowledging that even his prayer to not have to drink that cup was not the will of the Father. And that the prayer in the garden wasn't for the purpose of escaping drinking the cup. For this cause was I born, for this cause came I in the world, is what he said. So he wasn't doing that. That prayer was his death rattle. Fortunately, unfortunately, whichever the case may be, I've had the opportunity in my 47 years of ministry to be standing near people who died and almost without fail in the last minutes or moments of their life sometimes 30 minutes sometimes 15 sometimes only five there was a death rattle I don't know what causes that and that's not the purpose of this lesson to explain that. But it was a specific sound that came out of a person that let you know they were only moments from passing. And Jesus' prayer in the garden was not for the purpose 
of escaping God's plan for his life, it was his death rattle. Because he was already sweating great drops of blood, which is medically medical proof that he had already ruptured his heart from the strain he was under because his heart was bleeding and his body was casting off the blood that was in his system because he was sweating great drops of blood. So if a forensic pathologist had done an autopsy on the body of the man Christ Jesus after he died, he would have concluded he did not die from what happened to him on the cross. The cross was the place of death. It was not the cause of death. Oh, and by the way, there is an, a, 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 a principle of God that has never and never will be violated. Life always comes out of death. Life does not come out of life. Except a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians 4, Paul said, we're always dying so that you can always live. One of the many reasons why I am thankful I was, was born a male is that I have been with my wife through the birth of two children. Three, technically. She lost our first one about five months long. So I've been with her, actually, during three seasons of labor. And in so many ways, that woman at the brink of the, of the point in time that that baby is coming out of her body, she's as close to death as she'll ever be. Life comes out of death. So Jesus said, if you're not going to believe me for this, for the word's sake, believe me for the works' sake. Not works that were done to his benefit, that were, but works that were done through him for the benefit of the kingdom of God and for the benefit of the lost. So listen, verse 11, I'll read it again. Believe me that I'm in the Father. And the Father in me, or else believe me for the work's sake. Verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And, and, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just making a point. And is a conjunction which joins what's about to be said to what has just been said. You cannot interpret what follows the and separately and independently from what was said before the and. If you do, you are perverting what God is saying. And if you base your faith on that, you're going to be disappointed. And the devil will use your misinformed disappointment to undermine your faith in what you're doing here and what God wants to do through you. 
I'll read it again, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. In other words, I'm about to be taken out of the way. Why? Because I, I am physically, this is the most restricted God is. This body can only be in one place at one time. So this body's being taken out of the way, and this body's going to stop being the body. It's going to be the head of the body, and I'm birthing a church, which will be my body, which can then be, be sent into the entire world. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that my, the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Because we have, we have prayed erroneously, amiss. We have prayed for us. For God to fix stuff He let come into our lives. To take the pain away that He allowed come into our lives. To take the things that He sent to us to break us so that we would stop trusting ourselves and start trusting Him. Because we prayed for against stuff He sent. How many times have we rebuked, tried to rebuke the devil for something that God's doing? And because we've done that, and we get disappointed because He said it, but He's not doing it. Then we... We give up on prayer. Prayer doesn't work. Oh, prayer works all right. And because, because we're not doing what we're offered to have done through this prayer, we have loved ones that are on the verge of being lost. That neighbors got no chance of being saved. Because what he's saying here is this. When I am praying for the works of the kingdom, and the works of the kingdom... Is see, seeking and saving the lost. And seeing people that are lost brought to a place of brokenness and conviction. So that they will acknowledge who they are and where they are. Now the problem with praying like this is. You don't go fussing with God when he answers your prayer. And things get so bad in somebody's life. You get feeling sorry for them. Do you want them to have comfort here or there? I'll just give you a perfect example. By God's own will, he's the only one that can limit himself. And he has limited himself. He has limited himself to not violate the will of man. He cannot, will not, he cannot because he chose to bind himself, to limit himself. He cannot and will not violate the will of man. But hey, let's just, let's just think about this a minute. Let's see, the Bible says... The Lord giveth his beloved sleep. Okay? The implication of that is sleep is a gift to those who are walking in surrender to God and have committed themselves to him and they're trusting him as their father. So you got somebody that you love, you care about. They're not. They're not living right. So I'm not praying this for me. I'm praying this for their soul's sake. Lord, I, I'm not judging them, but according to what your word says, 
it, it appears as though they're not living as an, a beloved. So, therefore, in Jesus' name, I bind them from being able to sleep. And I loose the spirit and angel of God, angels of God, to come to them in the night and deal with them in the night in dreams and in visions. How many of y'all remember, you, you know who Brian Jones is? He's come here to manifest. Uh, he was the original midshipman, one brother you and several of these other guys, right? You know Brian Jones? Brian Jones was backslidden. One of all these guys, but he was backslidden. He'd served his five years in the Navy, got out. He was working for Pfizer, still working for Pfizer uh, Chemicals. Backslidden. Attending a conference in New Orleans, in the hotel room, in the bed with his wife in the middle of the night, asleep, and had a dream of him in hell, so vivid, that on his own, independent of a church service and a preacher, he rolled out of the bed and repented his sins and prayed through right there on that uh, hotel room floor and he's never gone back on that prayer and he's a pastor a preacher of the gospel and a pastor today don't tell me that doesn't work you say I don't know how far to go with that Paul talked about those who were so in such bad shape spiritually so far from God spiritually that he prayed this way. He turned them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that their soul might be saved. But we're still praying for God to supply our rent. We're still praying prayers that are only for the purpose of benefiting us. Me, my, and mine. Pray for him. So we we are offered this. This is offered to us. The door is open. Let's go a little bit farther. Did some of you not convinced yet? That's okay. Let's go to John 15 that I read. John 15, verse 1. Okay? Listen to this now. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean, purged, pruned, through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. 
If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein, herein what? In fruitfulness and the authority I've just given you to pray, whatever it takes to see that fruit born. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Whoa, does that not change that verse completely in that context? You can't read that verse. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. You can't read that context, that verse in context, and come up with any idea that this is some blank check that God is offering that I can just throw my quarter in a wishing well and he'll give me whatever I want. Unless I'm in tune with him, his burden, his passion is his kingdom, and I am desperate to see people saved, and I'm willing to trust my father who loves them more than I could ever love them, in whatever he allows to come into their life to get their attention, I'm not going to charge him foolishly. I'm not going to fault him for it because eternity is forever. And if I am going to not be used of God as a conduit to release the Word of God and the Spirit of God, in the homes and in the lives that don't know God. Because God is going to use human agency, and if there's no human agency to be used, then they're going to be lost. That's the plan. Well, I I, I don't know how far to pray, brother, right? Well, if you're praying for somebody's salvation, he put no limit on it. I said he put no limit on it. But then, if they get sick, we get all nervous. Well, I've got a problem here, folks, honestly. My, My engineering brain, not my theological brain, my engineering brain in calculating how long forever is, And understanding forever is literally forever, that there's no end to that whatsoever. And those who do not willingly choose to live for God in this life because of the choices made in this very life is but a vapor, this this infinitesimally small period of time in comparison to forever, that those that don't make the right choices because he will not force them to make the right choices, are going to pay for those choices forever. I'm going to fuss with God because somebody gets sick and repents and dies. I'm going to charge God with being unmerciful or unkind because they're going to spend eternity in heaven. And I'm going to grieve for the few short days, weeks, and months of my life 
over their loss? I'm going to tell you the hard thing. You want to hear something really hard? If you don't grieve for them now, you're not going to be allowed to grieve for them then because there's no weeping in heaven and there won't be any... God's going to wipe them out of your memory. You understand that? (laughs) The people you won't pray for now who end up lost and you, you live your life, you repent, you're trying to do right, you go to heaven. They're going to burn forever, but you... Your mind's going to be wiped of them, and in your life is just going to be wonderful because you didn't want to grieve for them now. Well, that's not fair. No, the problem is the Lord is faithful to His Word. And so if I believe Him and live a life of faith and I live a life of repentance and I live a life of commitment in, in trust in Him, He's going to save me. But if I'm so into me that I'm not going to bother praying for somebody else because I don't want to see anything bad happen to them. So so much to the point, because all of that, you see, that's not about them, that's about me. You understand that? When I won't pray for a soul that whatever you've got to do, Father, save them, regardless of what it costs. When I won't pray that way, and then when God allows things to come in their lives, I don't get upset with Him about it, and I don't charge Him foolishly, because He, you know, it's so easy, it's so easy to sit here and pretend that this is, this is it. Here and now is life. This is life. This is it. Well, I, I tell you why. You're not the only one that gets older. The preacher gets older. Because Paul said it this way. Now is my salvation nearer than when I first began. I hear about, doesn't he look good at 80? As if it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen that somebody could be functioning at 80. And I'm thinking, thank you very much because that's a decade away. I, I, I have wanted to see my grandchildren grow up and see what they would become in God and in life and who they would marry until I begin to do the calculations that when they're old enough to marry, how old will I be? And all of a sudden, I'm not in a hurry for any of that. I don't need great-grandchildren anytime soon. It's okay. Because I can't stay where I am while they grow up. I gotta grow older while they grow up. And I'm not in a hurry for that. Either one of those. That's our problem, see? We, we live for the here and now. And there's an element of that. It's positive if we're doing it in God, in the Spirit. But if we're doing that for our comfort and convenience and we're looking around all these lost people who look perfectly fine and don't seem to be any grave danger and therefore we have no urgency for their salvation. That 
that word, that number 500 was on the screen when I walked in here. 500. There's two things that are absolutely necessary or that 500 is not going to happen. Somebody's got to be willing to pray according to whatever, how desperate they are to see that people saved. To pray that God will do whatever is necessary to save. Well, what if he allows the economy to crash and we're, we're hungry too? Huh? I mean, really? Okay, I tell you what, let's let the world go to hell while we feed our face. You see, this is the problem when you don't, when you neither know nor trust the Father. Because when you know the Father and you trust the Father, then you're not, you're not worried about what He will do. Because he, if the economy crashes, I think He said that He feeds the birds, clothes the lilies. And he, in fact, he said, we don't even have to pray for that because when the heathen pray, they use vain repetition to speak unto their idols. When the Gentiles pray, they're, they're praying for food and clothing. And the Lord said, I know what you have need of. You don't have to pray for me, to me about that. Oh, wait, what am I supposed to be praying for since I don't have to pray for food and clothing? Uh, it's in there in that context. But seek ye first. The kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. And as the pastor is preaching Sunday night, these things mean these things. And if you've got them without them being additions, they're curses to you. Everything that you have sought for and obtained that did not come as an addition from the Father because you were focusing on His kingdom first. That's not a blessing to you. That's a curse. The only thing I can have and possess, places I can go and things I can do that are a blessing to me are the things that God gives me unsolicited because my focus is His kingdom. And when He does that, I can enjoy it with no guilt. I can enjoy it with no guilt. No, no guilt whatsoever. Now, I, I, I'm looking at some of you and I'm thinking, boy, they're not, they're not feeling what I'm feeling because their faces tell me and other means you're telling me that, uh, well, I I don't really like that. Really? If you care about your loved ones, this is the best news you've gotten in a long time. This is good news. If you care about your loved ones, you want to see your loved ones safe? He's given you it's a, this is an old statement, carte blanche. To pray whatever you got faith to pray for him to do whatever he's got to do to save them. 
Oh, you know, let's don't take that too far, Brother Wright. Now, come on. Let's, let's just, let's be balanced with this. Okay, let's, let's be balanced. Jesus said that if your eye offend you, it would be better for you to work your finger back in there behind that eye, pluck it out, cut off that optic nerve, and go to heaven with one eye than to go to hell with two. We're being balanced now. He said, if your hand offends you, it would be better off to lay it down on a block and get somebody to chop it off so that you could go to heaven with one hand than to go to hell with two. We're being balanced now. No, guess what? Uh-uh. The Lord's preaching unbalance. Where you are balanced with two, you get one. Where you're balanced with two hands, you get one. Now, I'm not talking about literally going out and doing that. Because that in itself is not the message. Whatever your eyes so focused on that is distracting you from the Lord, you need to cut that thing off. Well, I don't believe it's sin. It's not a question if it's sin for anybody else, but it's become sin for you because you're, it's not letting you, you're so involved with that. You, it's not letting you seek first the kingdom of God. Chopping your hand off isn't the problem. It's whatever you're doing with that hand that's the issue. So if you're doing something that's keeping you from being saved, even if it's not sin, but you're so involved in doing it, you need to cut that thing off. Wherever you're going, because that's what feet help you do. Go. Wherever you're going that could cause you to be lost. Not because it's sin, but because you're so involved in the going, you don't have time to put the kingdom first. You'd be better off cutting that thing off. Well, it's not a heaven or hell issue. Maybe not for everybody else, but it's become that for you. Oh, wait a minute. It was a lot more interesting and gruesome when we we're talking about plucking out eyes and cutting off hands and feet. But to cut off what I'm looking at and to cut off what I'm doing and to cut off where I'm going, now nah, that's a little much. Because at least if I plucked out an eye, I could still see what I'm wanting to see with the other eye. One of the best friends I've ever had in this whole world has lived with one eye since he was five. Brother Bill Sisko. His dad told him, don't play with that hammer. But he played with it anyway. And he pulled a nail out of the board that flipped up, caught him dead in the eye. He lost that eye at five years of age. He told me, he told me about how he, he felt so bad about that until his uncle said to him, Bill, rather than being ashamed of that, it's a good way to get women. He said, what a conversation started. Do you want to see my eye? And just pop it out and show it to him. He said, that makes you unique. There's no other guy in your class that can do that. Well, you can groan all you want, but Brother Cisco had... A, <laughs> He had to get over some stuff to get saved because they flocked after him when he was a young man. Why? You say, well, 
because he pulled his eye up? No, because he ended up at peace with himself enough that that peace about him and his acceptance of himself was attractive. There's so much to this, but I've reached the back end. The point I'm trying to make to you here tonight is this. God's doing some wonderful stuff in this church right now. And I have a word from God for this church Sunday night. I have a word from God for this church. And I I understand, Brother Valley, Brother Simpson, that you guys have got plans, and that's fine. I am recommending that at some point you play this message for the group in Baltimore. Even if it's not on a Sunday night, just... Play the message from Sunday night then. Because I'm going to tell you something. You can believe what you want to believe. But this is God's time. But if you think you and I can sit back passively and say, well, it's God's time. So we don't have to do anything. God's going to do it. No. The reason God tells us it's his time is to let us know that if we will be involved with him, we can count on what we're doing with him and him doing through us to be blessed. To see people saved. And the, the first and foremost thing you can do to see people saved is to pray. You don't pray in anger. You don't pray in vengeance. You pray in love and compassion. Whatever the Lord gives you to pray on that person. It's not, we're not cursing them. We're, we're, we're blessing them. We're, we're, we're not trying to see them suffer. We want them to go to heaven. We want them to go to heaven. That's the motive. And when things get bad for them, we're going to grieve with them. But we're not going to accuse God. It's okay to grieve with them when they're grieving because of what they're going through. You love them, you grieve with them. But you don't, uh, you don't accuse God because of what they're going through because that's the love of God. He loves them enough. Folks, if he died the most horrible death that a human's ever died to save us, Do you really think that seeing people saved is pretty? I don't think so. I don't think so. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us. We're asking you in Jesus' name. To give us trust in you and then the faith to obey what you've said so that souls can be saved and added to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.